Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, loving Jesus by loving people. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. Well, we are excited to have Ed Heinrichs here with us, and whatever you had to do to get here today, uh, Ed was traveling down from Muskoka yesterday through the midst of everything, so uh, he has worked hard to get to us today and got here safely, which is awesome, and uh, many of you will have met Ed. We typically have him in once a year or so, and Ed has been, uh, for a number of years, the executive director of Camp Crossroads, which is our denominational camp up in the Muskoka area, and I know many of you have a, a rich connection to that place, and it has actually just been announced in the last little while that Ed is stepping down from that role and uh, is looking to what God has for him next. And so he's going to share a little bit about camp today and he's going to bring the word of the Lord to us. So would you join me in welcoming Ed Heinrichs to come chair? It's always a treat uh, to be down here. I was expecting warm, sunny weather. A couple of moments when I watched other pe people careening off the highway into the ditch, I thought, is it going to be canceled tomorrow morning? But here we are, and I won't quote, well actually I will quote the young gentleman who used to be a part of a youth group that uh, Cheryl and I led in Niagara, and the Wednesday evening Bible studies weren't as well attended as the Friday evening events, and he would walk into the room, usually a little late, look around and say, well, now we know who the real Christians are. <laughs> I'm not judging anybody, I'll leave that up to you. But it is, it's good to be here this morning, and we do want to spend time together to, to look into God's Word. But I, I'd like to just highlight some of the things that God is doing up at a place called Camp Crossroads. Uh, we together, by God's grace, have about 347 acres in Muskoka, set on Black Lake, and it's a place where a lot of lives are impacted and changed over the years. And even this weekend, we've got a full house of junior high kids up there, busloads of them. And we believe and trust that God's going to meet them there and their lives are going to be impacted. And when I think of the junior high age group, they are at a very vulnerable place, trying to figure out who they are, who they are in relation to God. And so we just trust that God's going to work in your group as they're up north on a retreat. And also all those other kids are going to be heading home back into their daily routines after that. So we can celebrate because God is always at work. Jesus said the Father is always working. So right now, God is at work in advancing his kingdom. He's going to be doing that here this morning among us, and he's doing that in this world, and we get to be a part of that. So just want to celebrate a few of those things. I repeat this so often, it's almost become a bit of a, I don't know if a joke, but the staff almost expect me to say it because I say it to remind myself that this is what we're about. Jesus is at the center of the ministry. And if he is not at the center of what we're doing, let's stop doing what we're doing and realign ourselves and get clear on that. It's about Jesus Christ. He is the one, the way, the truth, and the life. So Christ at the center of Camp Crossroads Ministry. We exist to support the local church. We're not trying to reinvent the wheel. God has a vehicle for mission. Meadowbrook is a part of that mission. So we want to support that. We want to encourage and build into what God is doing through his local church. So we're not trying to replace that at all. We're clear on what we're about, and that is making disciples, because in Matthew 28, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth. It wasn't enough that he said all authority, which is everything. Then he explains it further and says in heaven and on earth. So nothing is excluded. All authority is mine. Go therefore and make disciples. That's our calling. That's your calling and my calling. And that's what we're about at Camp Crossroads. And then we got to also invest in developing young leaders. And that's, that's a real privilege. It's a lot of fun. If you've never been, Mesh was up this uh, summer at our family camps. 
willing to come back and your family enjoyed enough that you're willing to come back. It's a great place. We have three family camps in the summer and it's a week where you get to come up, eat some great homemade food, leave the dishes and go and play. There you go. It's, it's worth doing. And we're seeing multi-generation families coming up. In other words, the grandparents are coming up with the parents and the grandkids. So that includes everybody, and it's just a fun week away. Uh, we've got chapel twice a day. It's about fun. For the kids that come up, uh, the tubing is always a highlight. We've got the horse program. We've got a new boat that was donated, fairly new boat that was donated. So the waterfront activities, it's all about just the excitement of being in that space, sitting under the stars by the campfire. There's a lot of fun, and that's part of the recipe. A good recipe has good results, and that's a good part of the recipe is the fun that, that happens up in that place. And it, it's a joy for me to hear the, the noise and the sound of laughter coming through my office window in the summer. It really is an exciting place to be. It's about friendships. And uh, a lot of friendships have been made up at Camp Crossroads. In fact, some marriages have started at Camp Crossroads. And I often say we'd like to have 10% of what you think your marriage is worth as a donation to camp. <laughs> if we had any part to play. I'm just saying, you do the math, we won't judge you on the amount, but 10% would be much appreciated. So it is, it's about friendships, about relationships, and a lot of that happens in, in that context, obviously. But even more importantly, it's about faith and relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're seeing God advancing his kingdom through that. To, to hear the sound of worship in that chapel setting. And one of the pictures that comes to my mind, we have about 20 kids that come every, every week from the local community of Torrance. And to watch the progression on, uh, among the kids, on the Monday they come into chapel and they kind of stand there like that and they, what is this? You can just tell they're in, they're in a strange place. By the end of the week, they're singing the songs, they're engaging, and there's something powerful that happens when Jesus is being declared through worship. So thanks so much, guys, for leading us in that this morning. And to see the power of that in the lives of these young kids is just really, really exciting. As I mentioned, we also develop leaders. We've, the last two years, have had a double cohort of LITs, which is the early entry stage of leadership up there. We hire a number of staff through the summer, and it's really a chance for them to, to cut their teeth on leadership. And I'm having a bit of a moment as I'm standing here, because in 1987, Cheryl and I moved to Leamington, and this church gave us an opportunity to test our leadership wings, and we got to lead youth ministry with Wilf and Al. Wilf, you've gotten a little older. Al hasn't since 1987. But we, we had a chance as young people, a newly married couple, to engage in ministry in a powerful way. So you understand leadership development as a church. And that's what we're doing up at Camp Crossroads. And it's a chance for you to send your young leaders into that context. We'll work with them and give them opportunities to learn, maybe even to fail a little bit in a context where they can be supported through that. And uh, so we are all about developing leaders as well. Last year, we had about 700 up in January and February. People always ask, well, what do you do the rest of the year? That's what we do the rest of the year, is ministry, leadership development, engaging kids in ministry, pointing them to Jesus, and discipling them. So we've got a full house. It was standing room only this weekend, and that's true for the next number of weeks going through the winter. So pray for us as a church and also individually because it's a little bit scary when a busload of kids, a busload of kids gets off the bus and they're going to be tubing and usually involves some falls and spills and some homesickness and whatever else. So we absolutely depend upon God. But it is happening year-round now. There's a lot of stuff that goes on up at Camp Crossroads. Just some of the numbers. Some people are numbers people. About 48,000 campers over the uh, 39 years this year that camp has existed. And this to me is really important. And, and what you measure, you value. And what you measure, you tend to focus on. 
And so we do track with the spiritual growth that happens up in that context. So 8,223 significant spiritual decisions that we know of have been made up at Camp Crossroads. Think about that for just a moment. Those are the kids that told their leaders, told the chapel speaker, told someone on staff, I've decided to follow Jesus, or I'm going to get baptized, or I'm committed to reading the Bible. Steps like that, significant spiritual decisions, and over 1,500 first-time decisions for Christ that we know of in that context. Jesus said, the angels rejoice when a sinner repents. And I always picture that party in heaven when week after week we see people responding to the gospel in, camp, in that camp setting. It's powerful. And we're going to stand beside people in eternity one day that are going to say, thanks for investing in that ministry. I'm here because of that investment that you made. So please continue to pray and support Camp Crossroads. Now, some people are skeptical. The first meeting that I, ha that I had with a donor um, back in 2013 when I started at camps, he said, so what do you do about follow-up? Challenge is we can't do follow-up as a camp because we've got our focus and that's to support the local church. So the ideal is that the local church is built into what we're doing. So as an example, Scott Street Church from St. Catharines, their uh, children's ministry person came up with kids from their community and spent the week there with them. And do you know what happened to the ministry and the outreach for that ministry? hugely accelerated because a week together with those kids built a platform platform for kelly to now invest in their lives the rest of the time so we want to do follow-up through the local church we want to partner together with local churches but the question is do these decisions stick it's easy to quote these numbers and you might if there was a cynic in the crowd which i'm sure there would never be at meadowbrook but if there were well so what well there's an interesting study that came out in 2013 called hemorrhaging faith any of you heard of it before? It talks about the, the exodus from the church. And now there's a follow-up study called Renegotiating Faith. Now this is a Canadian study, so Canadian numbers, that looks at how the next generation of young people are being engaged. And let's talk about retention in the local church, because if that's God's vehicle for mission, they should be a part of that. So we're asking the question, do those decisions that are being made at camp, do they stick? Well, there's some metrics to that. And, and I found this one rather encouraging and interesting. About half, 49% of the young adults, continued to attend religious services at the same frequency as they did as a teen, while almost the same share reduced their religious service attendance. So there's a real hemorrhaging, there's a real attrition to, in church attendance when people grow up and leave home, university, college, and on to careers. About half of them will stop attending church. If church attendance, which you're telling me this morning, is a, an important thing, I, I punched through the drift at the end of your driveway to get here. I, I felt it was important enough, and I'm sure many of you did. I saw people out there shoveling this morning. Probably many of them were planning to go to church. Church attendance is important, and here's this statistic that tells us our 18, 19-year-olds are going to make the decision to no longer attend, and that's a problem because it's important to gather together and to be encouraged and challenged. Now, those statistics are far better if a young person has had a Christian camp experience. In fact, they're twice as likely to stay in church if they've had a Christian camp experience. And there are other factors. Mentoring is a huge one in the local church. If they're being mentored by someone in the church, 
then they're more likely to stay connected to the church community. So that, to me, that was encouraging anyway. Hopefully you, f- you feel the same way. They're far more likely to stay connected to the local church if they have a camp experience. So that's all that to say. Please pray for Camp Crossroads. It is our camp denominationally. It's our camp in the sense that many of us have experience from the past being part of that, and God is continuing to use it powerfully, and his kingdom is advancing through that. So we're excited about that, and a number of testimonies that come out every year where where people just share, yeah, my life was impacted, and they've had a chance now to test their uh, wings as evangelists as well, to share the gospel with young people that are in their cabin. So James talks about that and how he saw three young men that were from a uh, no-faith background, and they started to explore who Jesus was. And we hear this. We hear our staff telling us that the campers say, I never heard about Jesus before. Can you imagine Canadian culture in 2018, this was, where a young person, 12 years old, said, I'd never heard about Jesus. We have an opportunity. And so it's exciting to hear these young people talk about how they grew as leaders, how they have grown in their own faith as they get a chance to invest in younger people. We're looking ahead to the future. We've got a really solid board. James Dukeman has been on the board the last six years. He's transitioning out for a one-year break. We'll see. But uh, it's been great to work with the board and to see that there's a revitalization that's happening. We're rebuilding some of the structure. We've invested in uh, the staff team as well, developing the staff. We've got a strong LIT program. We've got a much stronger donor base. There's there's desperate need to revitalize the infrastructure. The buildings all need uh, remodeling, rebuilding, rehabilitating because they get used a lot but it's worth it. And so if you would be led by God to be a part of that, make that investment. I know it will bear fruit for eternity. That's an investment that has a guaranteed income return in just a spiritual sense because God's favor is on that place. So visit the camp website. We're just going to be launching a new website in the next couple of weeks as we launch into the registration February 4th. If you want to send your kids, your grandkids, or that noisy neighbor kid, Register February 4th because some of these camps fill up very, very quickly. Just if you're going to send your noisy neighbor kid, let the parents know where they are by Tuesday of that week. (laughs) So join the mission. Would you pray for Camp Crossroads? Would you commit to doing that? Would you pray about supporting camp tangibly and in some way making a donation or coming up and volunteering and experiencing firsthand? Ask Mesh what it's like to spend a week up there. It's it's worth investing or talk to, to James or anyone else that's been connected to camp over the years or Give me a call. The information's on that uh, table outside there. Yeah. So I've got a dilemma here. I was told the attendance is down just a little bit because of the storm. Remind me of the uh, story of a farmer out on the prairies, storm situation. One guy showed up, the bachelor farmer who lived next door to the church showed up. So he thought, well, what do you do in a case like that? So this preacher figured, I'm going to preach my sermon. So he preached a full-on sermon. At the end of it, he was standing by the door, old school fashion. Bachelor farmer comes by and says, well, I was surprised this morning. Pastor says, what do you mean? He says, well, you preached the whole sermon. Pastor says, well, when you go to feed your cattle, and if only one shows up, you still feed them, right? He says, yeah, I do, but I don't give them the whole load. (laughs) So how many of you want the whole load this morning? (laughs) All right, we'll go with that, Al. Anyway, so let's, let's look together. And, and I was amazed at how the Holy Spirit works. I do go on the website of churches that I'm visiting. I make a point of not bringing out some previously baked bread and re, reworking it. I want to learn from God, and so I prepare for each Sunday. And as Chris was talking about the next series, that's going to be the main course. This is the appetizer. 
Okay, so just to whet your appetite a little bit to think about how we are wired and what God is calling us to. And I have to say, as a, as a point of vulnerability, I'm living in this space very much these days. Uh, having resigned from this ministry, this will be the first time since 1988 where I don't have something specific in place that we sense God's call. I just said no to an opportunity last week. I was talking to Mesh over breakfast this morning. And that was a step of faith to say, I don't feel God's calling us to that. So we're still waiting. So when I'm preaching this, I'm talking to myself, living in a place of vulnerability. I don't want to ever retire as far as I know, just a matter of being redeployed and waiting on God. And so this text has been speaking to me very specifically about that. If somebody can look up Ephesians chapter 4 in the Pew Bibles, I didn't have a chance to get the, the page number. And Pardon me? 1175. And is that the NIV, Al? Yeah, NIV. So we're going to track with that and uh, page 1175, and I'll be reading out of the NIV as well. So Ephesians chapter 4, a very, very familiar letter for many of us coming out of the, uh, the Apostle Paul's writings. And, of course, he was part of planning some churches and, and starting some ministries, and so he would connect with them, thankfully, providentially for us, by letter. And so we have a record of some of the things that he said to them. And uh, so here we're picking up... Uh, partway into a letter that he wrote. Of course, it wouldn't have been broken into chapters and verses, so we're, uh, we're recognizing that even as we look at this. It's a part of an overall theme that he's been developing, but he has some very important things to say here, and, and so we want to take, uh, take seriously what, what's in front of us here. Um, over, over the last couple of years, I've gotten to know some prisoners that are incarcerated at Beaver Creek in Gravenhurst, and it's a federal facility, and it's a place where guys in particular are sent when they've committed some pretty serious crimes. And generally, they've been institutionalized for a long time already, and they move into this facility because they're, they're fairly reasonably behaved, and, and they're not afraid that they're going to run off. So usually on Wednesdays of every week in the off-season, when, when we don't have campers there on site on the Wednesday, we bring in a van load of prisoners to do some work. And some of them have skills. They'll cut wood. They'll split wood or help with drywall or whatever. One of the highlights of my week is actually to sit down at lunchtime and just connect with these guys and just to hear their stories. And I've been challenged in my own faith. Some of them have told me, if I could do my life over again, I would. But I'm thankful that I ended up where I did because I came to know Jesus in prison. This one guy who had killed a few people, and he said, I'm so sorry for what I did, but I've discovered peace in Jesus. That's a powerful testimony. But uh, you can imagine how their lives were changed when they heard the words guilty in court. Sometimes it comes down to one word in our lives pivot, right? That's a, that's a life sentence. So when I chose the title, a life sentence, I don't want you to think you're going off to prison. Paul was in prison, so I think it's relevant to what's going on here. In fact, he says that in the letter, that he was in prison. But I'm talking about a life sentence in a slightly different way, so we'll get there. So live with that dissonance. You're not going to prison as far as I know. But we're talking about a life sentence in a different kind of a way. Words that change the course of our lives. Hearing the words, I do, in this spot up here, usually tells us that two people's lives are changing direction significantly. If one of them suddenly said, I don't, that would be a whole different scene, wouldn't it? Part of me would actually like to see that one day. That might be, I've performed a number of marriages. It might be like, well, what are we into now here? But words like that, and uh, for me, in, in April, my dad passed away. He was 83, 84 years old. And uh, 
because I've had some experience in working in a church, all my, five of my siblings looked at me and said, what are we going to do now? In other words, who's going to take care of the eulogy and the gravestone and all the rest of it? And it's a, it's a daunting task to take a blank sheet of paper and then to presume to write someone's story. And as we were at the uh, graveside, I happened to walk around afterwards and looked at some of the other gravestones. And in that case, often the life is reduced to one sentence. And I was sobered by that. And I had to think, one day, somebody's going to write my life sentence. Think about that for just a moment. Somewhere, somebody's going to sit at a kitchen table. They're going to be thinking about you, and they're going to try to capture in one life sentence who you were. So here's my challenge going into this series in particular. What's your life sentence going to be? Why don't you write it? Don't trust your kids. They might wreak revenge on you. Something like, oh, he tried. <laughs> Not bad, I guess. <laughs> why, don't you, why don't we write our own sentences? I, I've done that. I was telling Mesh about uh, an Apex retreat that I did uh, five years ago now, which was designed for, for people at my life stage at that point to very seriously look at all these components that make up who we are and then live into the best story possible. Have you ever, how many of you have actually done that? sat down and wrote, uh, wrote out to have written down your life philosophy or your calling. If, if you didn't raise your hand, can I challenge you to do that? In fact, I think it's in line with, with what Paul is saying here in this uh, text. So let, let's go to that um, and look specifically at uh, what Paul is saying to the Ephesians here as he writes this. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And then he goes on to describe some of the characteristics of what that will look like. And there are a number of components that will, will fall out as he talks further here. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And then he goes on to talk about how grace has been given to each one of us as Christ apportioned it. And that's why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and he gave gifts to people. He gave gifts to us. And what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. And for me, I hear Matthew 28 in that context again. All authority in the whole universe is his, and he sends us out then. And it says, and it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. 
as each part does its work. So you see how he's going back and forth from the individual calling, the individual makeup, if you will, to how the body is tied together, and then kind of wraps up this, this part of the text with, it's when each part is working that the body is actually being built up. So you have a part to play. I have a part to play. So let's unpack that just, just a little bit. Hopefully we, we have some clarity around this, and uh, we'll, we'll be able to think into this a little bit more, uh, more clearly as we go. One is that, that sense of the clarity around our identity. Paul begins this section by saying, as a prisoner, and, and I spent a little bit of time looking at that preposition, that the fourth word in the sentence, the NIV says for, but if you look at the other, other translation, translations, they use other words in place of the for. In fact, if you go back, and you can Google this if you want, the word is actually the Greek word in, in Christ. So Paul is writing from that place of absolute clarity around his identity. One of my personal fears would be to be in prison because I, I would think I would go crazy, claustrophobic. Paul is in prison writing this, but he's not basing his identity on his situation. He's basing his identity on the fact that he is in Christ. He's not just a prisoner for Christ, he is a prisoner in Christ. And he talks about being a bondservant of Jesus. He's in Christ, and that's the place that he's writing from and encouraging them. So that clarity of identity. How well do you know yourself? Would you be able to say the same thing as a prisoner in Christ in these circumstances, facing whatever you do? His identity is not found in the circumstances. It's in Christ that he lives and moves and has his being. And so what does that look for us? What does that look like for us? Um, we're in a, an age where identity is absolutely under attack. And, and let, let's dissect that just a little bit. Your, your identity, and, and I'm thinking in particular because I just went through a workshop together with Andrew on uh, the Gen Z um, demographic, the culture being developed among junior high kids and, and into senior high as well. And they are different than the millennials. You guys are millennials, right? Would you identify yourself? That, you're, you're too old to be a millennial. <laughs> you're a millennial. That would be like, you know, 90s into the early 2000s, that, that, that generation. There's another generation called Gen Z that are digital natives. In other words, they don't know a world before smartphones. And social media is a strong way of shaping their identity. Your identity is linked to how many likes you get on what you say. And they've studied, and there are actually endorphins released that when somebody comes on your Facebook and says, like, you get a little jolt of feel-good hormone in your head. So you get addicted to this stuff. And they're spending nine hours a day on screen time. So their identity is external to who they are. And then bring into that, and I don't want to go too deep into this, the whole fact that they're being taught that their, their gender identity is fluid. No longer binary, it can be it was hard enough trying to figure out who I am back in the day when there were some structures. I rebelled. I was a rebellious teenager, but I knew there was a wall I was pushing against, and there was some comfort in that. I knew I was wrong, but I still did it. But I knew there was, we've removed the walls, and the result is anxiety and depression, and the number of kids that are coming even to camp with bags full of medication, unbelievable. 12-year-olds dealing with these things. So having a clear sense of identity is going to be such a powerful 
um, place of ministry for the church. Because if we can understand who we are in Christ and begin to, by example, by mentoring, by investing in young people, bring them into that place, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with that stands out in this world. And it is going to be attractive. Because the other upside to all of this, and I don't want to be negative, the upside of this is that people are looking for answers. They are desperately looking for answers. Who has the answer? Jesus. We have the answer in Christ. So when Paul says, in Christ, a prisoner, I urge you then, there's that sense of, ur- I don't know what time it is. What time do we stop? Even when it's a smaller group? Okay. I won't, uh, you know what, I'm going to really speed this up. So Paul is challenging us to, to have clarity around our identity. Do you know who you are? Do you know who you are in Christ is the question. Have you taken the time to think that through? There's so many references in Scripture that talk about identity. Jesus talked about you are salt and you are light. That's part of our identity. You are like a city on a hill. Cities on a hill don't get hidden. We don't do Christianity from in the bushes. We do it out in the public square. In fact, we do it on the hilltop. We live it where it can be seen. That's the calling here. So clarity around our identity is... This is the appetizer for next week, by the way. So clarity around identity is so important. Then, then there's the next uh, part of it, and that is the clarity of calling. Notice what Paul says here in, in Ephesians 4. He says, I urge you then to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. It's been sent. God places a calling on our lives. In fact, in, if you look in Scripture, sometimes God calls by means. In other words, a burning bush. Maybe that's your story. Sometimes he calls by no means, just by the fact that the, the surrounding community begins to call you out into things. Maybe in your family, maybe your friends, and maybe just a sense of the Holy Spirit at work in you saying, this is for you, step into it. So the question then is, have you got clarity in your identity and have you got clarity in the calling that you have received? Have you taken the time to stop and to think about the calling that God has on your life? Do you have a sense of that? Um, I was listening to a, a podcast on, on the drive into work the other day, and the uh, author, Donald Miller, I th- think was the guy doing the podcast. He wrote Blue Like Jazz and Through Pain to Desert. He's got some great Christian, Christian books. Now he's running a business on helping corporations to, to do their branding. But he says the, uh, the number one influencer in American culture is not the government, not the church, not even the entertainment sector, but corporations. And he talked about how many trillions of dollars are being spent by corporations on branding and getting people to wear their brand or to own their brand or to associate with their brand. So we've got a challenge ahead of us. But we also have the advantage of bringing the message of hope, and that is the gospel, that will invite people into living a better story, having meaning and purpose in their lives as they discover who Jesus is. Because Jesus just doesn't leave us where we are, but calls us into living a better story. So having clarity around that calling is so important to every one of us. Press into that. I, I mentioned that retreat that I was on a number of years ago. If, if I get out my Mac right now and open it up, I can guarantee you that that document is open on my computer. Because I will drift every day from what I'm called to if, if I'm not careful. So I revisit it intentionally. And as I'm in this season of no man's land right now, 
It's a gut-wrenching thing, and I need absolute clarity to be able to say no to one thing and yes to another. But that happens every day. I just have the un unfortunate or fortunate situation of having to be more serious about that as I think about what's next for, for us as a family. Tomorrow, something will call for your attention. But if you aren't doing what God is, if you're doing something God hasn't called you to do, you're probably not doing something he has called you to do because you have 24 hours in your day just like I do. It's going to be either or. So clarity around calling, clarity around identity are so important. Um, I get to the privilege of every Wednesday morning at 6 a.m. on a Zoom call with six other guys, and we press into that. Uh, we had a men's retreat, putting a plug in for the men's retreat here, network retreat up at Camp Crossroads. Life-changing for some of these guys. And they said, we need to press into this. So every Wednesday, 6 a.m., we get on a Zoom call and push into this and say, what's your week going to look like because you're a follower of Jesus? What are you going to do differently in your family? Some of this is gut-wrenching stuff, but it's making a difference because there's this desire to be clear on who we are and how we live life and the, what we're called to. And so that's, that's going to be a key component. Again, another appetizer here, and that is you're going to have clarity around what your contribution is. So clarity of identity, clarity of calling, and then Paul talks about clarity of your contribution. He ends this section by saying, and uh, for him, from him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Meadowbrook, as a representative part of the body of Christ, needs you to do your part in order to grow to maturity as a body. Do you know what your calling is? Uh, we as a, a leadership at Cornerstone, when, when we were there, we spent a weekend doing a spiritual gifting um, teaching. A network, I think it was called. Yeah, that's what it was called. And it was a, kind of a spiritual gift assessment and then looking at how that gets lived. That was transformative for me. I was 34 years old and had never really thought about this before. I remember as a, as a teenager, there was an older gentleman who kept inviting me to sing in the choir. We had a choir back in the day. <laughs> I'm singing in the choir. Have you ever heard me sing? Like, that would be wrong. <laughs> that would have been the wrong thing for me to do. I usually got given the narrator role for some reason, and they stuck me up in the balcony. Some things you have clarity around, I shouldn't do that, but I ended up volunteering or being voluntold into some things that weren't a right fit either, and you just kind of know it. You're like, oh, I got to go do this thing, but Jesus wants me to, I guess. That's not it. When you're living in your calling and in the clarity of what your contribution is, it's like, I'll do this thing. I was looking forward to this morning. Genuinely, I drove. There were moments where I watched people going off into the ditch and thought, this is craziness. But I was looking forward to being here because I feel it's part of my calling to invest in, in other people. And it's a privilege to do it then. And if you ever feel yourself like, and you're going to have your days, we all do, where you're like this. But if you're doing this every time, you have to go and lead the junior high group. Maybe you need to switch it up and get some clarity around your spiritual gifts and the way that God has shaped you. And that will be transformative. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. What's your life sentence? Why not take some time to figure that out? And it will make all the difference in 2019 and beyond. Can I pray for you? Yeah. Father, thank you so much that you love every one of us. You see us sitting here. You know who we are. You formed us. And you know where your plans and your purpose is for us. And they are good. I just believe that, and I pray a blessing on, on each person in this room and ask that you would continue to guide us. 
even this day. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. this morning and it's good to be reminded that we should serve how we're wired and that we should be personalists for the Lord meaning that we are in chains for the kingdom to glorify him and it's a good thing and as Ed reminds us today to uh, urge on to build the kingdom uh, and how we're gifted and how we're wired to be and that's an exciting thing it's a good thing and if you've come here this morning and you're still trying to figure out what that means for you, uh, we encourage you to come forward today. We have a prayer team available after service that will be up front here that can pray with you through anything you're going through. Uh, we encourage you to come over here up front after service. And once people come forward to pray, we again remind you, if you want to visit and connect, we want you to do that. But please do that in the foyer or by the cafe so we can connect here and create a place of ministry as well. On that note with a prayer, I'm going to call Ed up here. Uh, Ed, come on forward. Ed's, Ed and Cheryl, Ed, Cheryl's his wife, uh, they're trying to figure out a few things right now. And we want to pray for him this morning to encourage him and bless him and Camp Crossroads as well. And what God has in store for Camp Crossroads as they look to fill big shoes and as Ed and Cheryl figure out what God has for them. So let's pray for Ed. Lord, thanks for Ed. Thank you for Cheryl as well. We pray, Lord Jesus, you'd give them such clarity that they would understand how you're leading them through the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you that they had the courage to say no to something when it'd be easy to kind of jump at the first thing because we want to live in the flesh. And I pray, Lord, that he continues to live in your spirit and makes those decisions based through how you're leading him. Thank you for the work he's done and the investment he'll continue to do for camp and the kingdom moving forward and for all the work he's done up to now at Camp Crossroads. And Lord, for Camp Crossroads too, guide them and encourage them and give them what they need with building and a capital fund and the next phase of those things. And even as they look to fill in the executive director role, give them lots of clarity and wisdom as they look to someone that's gonna come alongside and take the ministry to the next place. So as Ed travels today, keep him safe, encourage him. Thank you for how you have wired him to be and how he understands the call you've given him. And I pray as him and Cheryl continue to dialogue and talk, that you give them unity, excitement, and joy in the season of their life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, Meadowbrook, thanks for being here. Have a great Sunday.